0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are the illegitimate children and not true true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed."
1: Thank you very much for your welcome. It's a delight for my wife and I to have been here today. Let's just pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for your holy word. We thank you, your Holy Spirit, overruled us and caused it to be written for our learning so that it's the very word of God written, trustworthy and true. Help us to understand what we've heard read. Help us not only to understand it, but take it to heart. And put it into practice in our lives for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We thought this morning about the Christian life being like running a race, not a Usain Bolt sort of race, but a Mo Farah sort of a race, a long distance race with obstacles, with challenges, with opportunities. Uh, But the whole book of Hebrews being written to people who were beginning to suffer for their faith and were frightened about suffering that was to come. And they were finding that distracting in living uh, their Christian life. And they were in danger of uh, slippage. They were in danger of drifting in their spiritual life. They were in danger of uh, stumbling and indeed falling in the Christian race. And so uh, the writer of the Hebrews wants to write to them and encourage them, and as we saw this morning, to fix their eyes on Jesus, to find in him uh, the the glory of their faith, the unsurpassed Lord Jesus, the incomparable Lord Jesus, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus as uh, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Uh, They wanted, uh, they needed to fix their eyes on him if they were going to run the race well and to his glory And, and if they weren't going to become distracted by the suffering they were beginning to experience and frightened about what they thought was coming. Well, it's an important thing for us to look at when we think about the subject of suffering because on a couple of house parties recently, I've said to folk, uh, what is the biggest problem you have in living the Christian life? And in, I actually did it in three groupings of Christians. And two of the three immediately said suffering. It's sometimes hard to cope with the suffering in the world and suffering in our own lives or in our family life. It's sometimes difficult. We don't always understand the reason. And uh, if that was top in two places, it was second in the third So it's not surprising, the writer of the Hebrews knows that a distraction in running the race will be suffering. And it's suffering these Christians seem to be afraid of. People tell me who are into athletics, into running a race, that there is always a pain barrier. I was listening to an interview a while ago with Mo Farah and he was talking about there's always a pain barrier in running a race. And that's one of the hardest things to get through. I'm not an athlete myself, but you can tell me afterwards if that's not right, but I understand it is. There's a pain barrier and if you to run the race and, and uh, do well and keep on the course and finish the race, you need to get through that pain barrier. And it was the pain barrier that was becoming the problem for these Christians. They were becoming disheartened and distracted by suffering. Look at what the writer of the Hebrews says here in verse 3 of chapter 12. And we're looking from verse 3 onwards. Consider him, that is the Lord Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. They were beginning to grow weary in the Christian race and they were losing heart. And the writer of the Hebrews wants them not to grow weary and not to lose heart. I hope that that's your desire too, that you will run the race well, that you won't re- uh, waste the life that God has given you, and that out of gratitude for all that Jesus has done for you on Calvary's tree, you want to, to run the race well into his glory. You want to be in his hand, the instrument that is a blessing to others and brings glory to the Lord Jesus. I trust that's your heart's desire. So, if that is your heart's desire, you will want to know how to get through the pain barrier. And how to cope with the the thing that is so often a problem for Christians and that is the issue of suffering. I think immediately as I address this subject and think about it, I think immediately of my very dear friend Archbishop Ben Kwashi from Josh in northern Nigeria. Ben lives, some of you will know his story, Ben lives on the edge of the the margins between... um, the Christian world, and Islamic extremists, Islamists. Ben and the Christians in Josh have experienced more than 500 Christians killed, churches burned. His life has been threatened. His wife has been beaten up to within an inch of her life. On several occasions, gunmen came to kill him and amazingly went away without doing it. They live every day as if it is their last and yet if you spend time with him you will discover one of the most joyful Christians you can ever experience. Uh, what is the secret of that joy? Well uh, the writer of the Hebrews says it's considering the Lord Jesus. It's thinking about who Jesus is. It's thinking about, as we saw this morning, what he accomplished for us on Calvary's tree as the one who became, though the Son of God, our sin bearer and our substitute. He took the just penalty of God against everything you and I think and say and do wrong. He carried that on his holy shoulders when he could have stayed in heaven without blame. It is amazing truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul put it, and I mentioned this morning, which I think is Paul's almost slogan verse, the Son of God loved me. The Son of God, no one less. Uh, not just Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, is the Son of God. And he loved me incredibly. Me who is simply a speck of dust on the seashore of time and about as, uh, without Christ, about as meaningful as that. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Oh, says the writer of the Hebrews, keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix on him who he is and what he did for you. But think often about the cross. Christian, can I say to you in church this evening, if you know and love the Lord Jesus, never move away from the cross of Jesus Christ and think about your faith. Consider him who Jesus is. Don't be thoughtless Christians because if we're thoughtless Christians, not thinking about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us, and if in our minds or in our hearts or our behavior we drift away from the cross, we'll simply find life too difficult to live and the race too difficult to run. So consider him. One of the things I think it's important for us to understand is the cross of Jesus Christ is not only redemptive, for us, which it primarily and essentially is, and most importantly is, but it's actually therapeutic for us as Christians living the Christian life. And the writer of the Hebrews here says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Consider him who suffered. Think about what Jesus went through and why he went through it. And what happened, what God accomplished through the cross of our Lord Jesus. Uh, there's two things stated here very, uh, very clearly, really, by implication. When you and I suffer, we doubt that God loves us. Or sometimes we doubt that God loves us. How can this be, have happened? How can uh, we be expected to cope with this? Why has God allowed this? And when you consider the Lord Jesus and look at the cross, the cross didn't mean that the father ceased to love his son. No, the cross tells us that God so loved the world that he gave. And when we look at the cross, what the world would tell us sometimes that the difficult parts of life are just part of the meaninglessness of life. We look at the cross and we see God's purpose, that even through suffering and pain and difficulty, God is so great and so wonderful that he can turn even the hard times to times of blessing. That suffering is not without meaning and not without purpose. And suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love us as our Heavenly Father. Now, when we look at this passage in a little bit more detail, and we're looking down uh, this evening to verse 13, to the end of verse 13, I want to say by way of introduction that this passage doesn't tell us all that the Bible says about suffering. So afterwards, if you say to me, well, there's more to be said about suffering than you've said, I would say, amen, there is. There's other passages that we could address and there's other perspectives. But what it says here is tremendously important for us to grasp if we're to keep running. As I said uh, this morning, one of my favorite uh, moments in the Olympics, which I guess we all enjoyed watching, was was Mo Farah um, stumbling and then getting up, falling and then getting up and winning the race and being pushed out of the race and yet keeping going. And if, you and if you and I are to live the Christian life the way our Savior who died for us and gives us the privilege of running the race for him and has opened the gate of heaven for us in a way we could never have done ourselves or do ourselves, if we want to run the race to his glory and run the race well, then we need to listen to what this passage of scripture is telling us so that we don't, we don't stumble or become distracted by suffering. The first thing we need to remember is that we live in a fallen world. The Bible uh, tells us right from the very beginning that this world is a place of rebellion against God, that in our hearts and by nature we are rebels, and we live therefore in a world that is experiencing the fallenness of rebellion against God of our original parents reinforced by our personal rebellion and neglect of our creator who gives us the breath of life ignoring or neglecting him by nature we live in a fallen world and we just need to remember that christians get sick like everybody else we get flu Uh, we get i've just uh, been to visit a friend who paul knows a dear friend of both of us who's had to have a leg amputated because of circulation problems christians are not exempt from suffering or pain or difficulty the difference is that we know a savior who by his spirit is with us through it and can even turn as we'll see in a moment our sufferings into a means of blessing we live in a fallen world, and Jesus called the disciples to take up their cross and follow him. We need to remember that. Would you turn, keep your finger in Hebrews 12, but please turn back with me to Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus has been talking about, he's been predicting his death. And he says in verse 21 to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Death will not be the end but he will triumph over death. Jesus knew exactly what lay ahead of him and then verse 24 Matthew tells us then Jesus said to his disciples those who would come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. A person carrying a cross was not able to determine their own future. Uh, They must, in a sense, they had to deny themselves. Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives, if we cling on to our lives and want to live our life our way, And be God to ourselves, says Jesus. If we want to save our lives, we will lose them. But those who lose their lives for me, those who give their lives to me and are prepared to even lose them for me, will find life. Uh, That's the call to discipleship. To discipleship means, it's a challenge, isn't it? It means to follow the one who went to Calvary's tree for us. And though we can never experience the death of his suffering, which was redemptive, and we thankfully never have to experience that, the depth of the agony, which wasn't just the physical pain of Calvary, but was that moment of, of uh, experienced separation of the Trinity of the the son from the father. That was the real agony of the cross. Thank God we don't have to experience that, but we do have to take up our cross and follow the one who loved us so as to give his life for us. That's the call to be a Christian. We're not called to live an easy life as a Christian writer once put it and I think very helpfully he said some people think that when they sign up to becoming a Christian and say yes to the Lord Jesus it's like going down to the docks and getting on board a luxury liner and yet it is that yes it is the joy of going to heaven and being on the way to heaven and the promise of his presence on the way but when they get down to the docks what they find is a battered battleship which says on the side of it his majesty sails And you're signing up to be involved with a crew of people who are like-minded and will follow the captain who knows his destination and will bring us safely home, but there's a battle to be fought in the meantime. There's a challenge of serious Christian living. And in the light of who Jesus is and all he did for us, how much are we prepared to suffer for him? That's the basic challenge, isn't it, of discipleship. Jesus said, you remember, and you need to look it up, but if you take notes, um, take notes and look it up later. Jesus said to the disciples the night before he died so that they wouldn't be thrown by suffering. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Students in the university, if some of your lectures hate you because you're a Christian, don't be surprised and don't be thrown by it. I remember... um, a particularly difficult senior science teacher in Cheadle, where I used to serve uh, some years ago in Manchester. And uh, he caused a lot of problems with our uh, youth group in this particular school. He was always skeptical, always attacking Christians. And he said one day, we now know what happened at the beginning of the world back to a fraction, a fraction of a second after the Bing Bang. And the nicest and most gracious young Christian guy in the class took his hand up and said, some of us, sir, know what happened before that. (laughs) If you feel uh, marginalized as a Christian, as increasingly, I believe, unless God has mercy on us, Bible-believing Christians are going to feel in Britain. There are all the signs of it if you begin to feel increasingly marginalized because you're a Christian, don't let it make you stumble in the race. Don't let it put you off. Jesus said that that following him would involve that. But doing anything else is a cul-de-sac, is the way to face accountability before God and have no one to shield behind or to redeem us but a lost eternity apart from him. To know him and to follow the Lord Jesus is to discover life and forgiveness and relationship with God and the reason for which we've been made. Oh, it's, it's the best way to live by far, but it isn't always going to be easy. Suffering can make us grow weary or faint-hearted, but by God's grace, as we ask the questions why, It's better just to learn to say, I trust you, Lord. If you could give your life for me, I trust my life in your hands. Alec Mateer, whom I mentioned this morning, my old uh, professor, mentor, and friend who went to be with the Lord 10 days ago, used to say in a phrase that is very precious to my wife and I, and I quote, God's sovereign care is the pillow on which I rest my head every night. That I'm known by God, I'm loved by him with a fatherly care. For that father gave his son to be my savior and my Lord. I can trust him. I can lay my head on the pillow of his sovereign love. Yes, the first thing we need to register is the call to discipleship Uh, Secondly, and this comes out in in verse 4 particularly, there is a struggle there is a battle and a challenge in our fallen world. I don't need to spend long on this for I've already mentioned it. There is a struggle and a battle for a Christian. But according to verse 4, and we need to keep reminding ourselves of this, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted the point of shedding your blood. The writer of the Hebrews may be saying The Christians that you've heard news about have had to suffer more than you. Don't exaggerate your own problems. So I don't think that's what he's saying. I think in the context, because he's saying, consider the Lord Jesus in your struggle against sin. You've not resisted the point of shedding your blood. But the Son of God shed his blood for you. That's the point. Is he gave his life for you. And anything that he calls us to do is small by comparison however difficult it may be. He has suffered much more and to a depth we can never suffer. But there is a struggle and a battle and there is a challenge to faithfulness in hard times as well as in sunshine times. It's easy to be a Christian when the sun is out and everything seems to be going well. It's harder to be a Christian when you get a bad medical result after a visit to the local doctor or you've lost your job our exams haven't gone well, or whatever it may be. And we need to trust him through those times. Listen to the particular insight of this passage regarding suffering. And it's, um, it's here for us uh, very powerfully in the next, uh, in the next section. Endure hardship, verse 7, as discipline. God is treating you as sons or as children. For what children are not disciplined by the parents? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate, not true children. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's the truth of the passage. You see uh, the Lord Jesus accepts us wonderfully as we are warts and all but he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us as we are and in seeking to fashion us to become ready for heaven in the in the sense of having a character shaped that will joyfully begin delight to fit into heaven the beginning of that which will only be completed when we get to heaven he disciplines us through life He doesn't uh, just leave us as we are. He loves us too much. And he wants to teach us lessons through life. One of the things I've learned over the years and asked Christians who have been through hard times. And hard times uh, that my wife and I have been through ourselves. Is we would bear testimony. And the testimony of those we asked have always said that they've learned more about the Lord in hard times than in easy times. And that the hard times have become, as they've looked back on them, precious times. When by God's grace, they've learned more about Jesus. The promises of God have become more electric in their lives day by day. And they've not only learned more about Jesus, but they've learned to lean more on him in difficult times than we so often don't do in easy times. The writer of Hebrews says god disciplining us and allowing us through difficult times to teach us and train us think of a a fatherly care think of a human example we don't respect parents who uh, don't care to discipline us or to help us see the right way to go when we're growing up I thought as I, I read this, I thought about a discussion. I used to do a lot of youth work, as I mentioned uh, this morning. But I, I remember a discussion in a youth group in Cheadle where um, everybody in the group, at the end of a Bible study group, we were, uh, we were talking about people respecting their parents and parents' responsibility to their children. And uniformly, the whole youth group complained about parents having strict times when kids had to be in in the evening and various disciplinary um, concerns. And there was moans about this until one girl said, I wish to God my parents cared enough to care what time I came in in the evening. They don't care whether I'm in at three or five or don't appear for the next day. I wish to God I had a parent who cared enough about me to want to impose some discipline. Well, you see, our Heavenly Father cares enough about us uh, to want to discipline us sometimes and through life's experience to use them, not in a meaningless way, but actually to cast us back on him that we might know the riches of his presence and we might trust him more. I remember it's, it's sometimes uh, difficult to make decisions as, as a parent, but I remember uh, my b- beloved daughter is now 34, but I remember when she was a five-year-old, I could not show her or convince her of the danger of fire. Uh, I could not get across to her how dangerous fire actually was. And one day in desperation, I allowed her to burn herself a little bit in order that I found it incredibly hard. I knew that she had to have some little experience of pain in order to keep herself from putting her hand in the fire which she was inclined to want to do. And she learned pretty quickly uh, from that uh, how dangerous fire actually was. God allows sometimes to go through as we're in a fallen world and following the way of the cross to go through times of deep suffering and difficulty but as we lean on him and learn from him in those times they can become precious times. I would want to testify to you that I've no wish I particularly uh, two lots of two really hard times in my life I've no wish to relive them again but if you said to me take away the preciousness of the Lord Jesus during those times and you needn't have had them I would say I'd rather have had them and know the preciousness of a saviour who stands by me during those times and I think if I asked anybody who's been on the Christian road for any length in this congregation today you would tell me the same it's through the hard times we learn to lean on Christ and we learn more of him so consider him who suffered remember that those whom the Lord loves he disciplines hard times are not without purpose Um, verse 10 Look at look at what the writer of the Hebrews says our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best and good parents will uh, discipline carefully and lovingly and wisely but they don't even the best of parents don't always get it right but God our heavenly father always gets it right God disciplines us for our good for our blessing that we may share in his holiness, that we may become like him, that we may become more like him. And says the writer of the Hebrews, no discipline seems seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Listen to the Olympic athletes. None of them enjoyed getting up at five o'clock in the morning. At least I never heard anybody interviewed who said, I loved being up before any of my friends. I loved having to swim the pool so many times. But their discipline trained them to become Olympic athletes. The challenges and the opportunities of life and sometimes the sufferings of the life of life are God's training ground. That we might become more like the Lord Jesus. Consider him who endured opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Training produces good fruit. So consider Jesus, share in his sufferings, know his fellowship, the fellowship of sufferings, not in a redemptive sense, but. But following his example, know his his fellowship and his sufferings, and his power. Turn with me. Keep your finger in um, Hebrews twelve. But turn with me to Philippians chapter three. Look at what Paul wants, and may this uh, be your prayer. Paul in Philippians three is giving his testimony. He said he gave up everything for the joy of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 8. But now he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. But he's already said he's come to know him when, uh, when he was converted and gave his life to Christ and left, left behind all the religiosity and uh, self value and self worth that he, he hung on to before God and found that um, Christ had done everything necessary for his salvation. But he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. What does he mean? I want to know Christ better. I want to get to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing these sufferings. Interesting, the order, isn't it? Normally in the New Testament, it's suffering and then the power of the resurrection. Here it's, Paul says, I want to know the power of the living Lord as I walk with him, his help to me every day, that I may be able to cope with the fellowship of sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's not that Paul is saying that's uncertain in any way. He's just saying, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he is going to do it. But in the meantime, I want to get to know Christ better, and I want to know his power. And if I'm to know his power, I need to be prepared to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. Consider Jesus. And if you turn back to Hebrews chapter 12, let me end with... uh, calling you back just to have a look at verse 12 Hebrews 12 and verse 12 therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees apparently that was a phrase used by had been used by Aristotle famously uh, for those who had dropped out of a race Uh, you know when we feel exhausted at the end of a race it's a good picture isn't it drooping arms weak knees um and the writer of the Hebrews says, in the race that you're running, therefore, in the light of what we've been thinking of, in the light of considering the Lord Jesus, keeping your eye on him, looking to him daily for strength to live, wanting to know him better and to serve him, and his power enabling grace every day in our lives. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. But you know, there's something else here in this verse, and I think it... Uh, It's the place to to end this message. Uh, It may be a a metaphor for falling out of the race, which he doesn't want them to do, and believes, actually, if you read the whole book, that they won't do that. They will listen to what he says. But actually, it brings to mind to a Christian, doesn't it? Uh, Arms raised in prayer because the Jews often prayed with their hands in the air, and when they were most earnest about prayer bend their knees in prayer if we're to run the race without weakening and uh, without weakening arms and feeble knees you and i need to be people of prayer because our prayer life speaks more uh, more eloquently about our dependence upon god than anything else I wasn't going to say this, but I, I, I want to tell you anyway. Is that right, Paul? Just a little leeway for an extra moment to tell you. When my son, who was uh, 14 at the time, <clears throat> he said to me, Dad, are you in a good mood? And I said, yes, I'm in a good mood. And he said, are you in a very good mood? And I said, yes. He said, are you in a very, very good mood? And I said, yes, what do you want? And he said, um, well, you know, when we're out the other day, we stopped and look at a, looked at a bicycle shop. And in the in the window of the bicycle shop was this trail bike. And he said, Dad, I've been thinking about it. And I've decided that uh, if I tried and saved up enough pocket money to get it, I would just be too old to enjoy it. <laughs> and he said, if, if I borrowed from mom, it'd be so long, the payback time would just be hopeless. He said, Dad, I know you don't have a big salary. But he said, Dad, if, you, if you're able, would you be able to get it for me for Christmas? You'll be happy to know he did get it for Christmas. But what are he saying to me? He was coming to his heavenly Father and he was saying, I can't do it with my resources. And isn't that what we do when we pray? Isn't that Paul called you all to come to the prayer meeting Um, a, a real mark of the health of a church is how it prays because when we don't pray what we're saying is we can run the church in our strength thank you very much and when we don't pray and cast ourselves on God and look to him for strength the Lord Jesus keep our eyes on him and look to his Spirit for strength every day what are we doing we're saying we can live the Christian life on our own thank you Lord very much but Jesus doesn't want to be our spare wheel taken out in emergencies, but the driving wheel of our lives. Let's keep our eyes on Him, and let's lean on him and learn from him and let's learn to trust him through the hard times as well as the sunshine. And as I said this morning, then we will be spiritual mofarers. Let's pray. father we're immensely grateful to you for your word it, it cuts so much to the chase of the challenges of living it brings not only challenge but deep encouragement and we thank you for all our savior went through for us we thank you for the promise of his presence with us through life's journey we thank you that nothing in life is outside your control or your ability to turn for good and blessing. Help us, even in the hard times, to consider you, to trust you, to love you and serve you all our days with a fresh dependence on your grace and love and mercy and strength. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.